Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. This is Aaron. And on today's episode, we're going to bring you a message I taught at the Good Lion Young Adults group that's all about doubt. This is a topic that is hugely important to me. I think doubt is a universal struggle that most Christ followers face at some point, myself included. But quite often we don't have the tools for how to deal with that doubt. And so in this message, we do sort of a character study of the character of Doubting Thomas. We look at his story, his experience with doubt, and the ways that Jesus responds to that doubt. I hope this message encourages you and helps you on your journey with Jesus. And if you would like some more content from us on this subject, I'd encourage you to go to our website, goodlion.io slash GLP. And in the section on the page where it has all of our episodes, there's a search bar. You can search for the word doubt. And there's several episodes that'll come up, including our interview with Dominic Doan, that I think will be really helpful to you. All right, let's get into the episode. It's so good to be here with you. And I'd like to take this opportunity to talk to you about something that's very important to the realities of our faith. And that is what some would call the evil twin brother of faith. And that would be the topic of doubt. Doubt is not a very fun topic to talk about because it's not something that's often very accepted at church. The word doubt is defined as the feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of our faith hinges on conviction. Is that not the definition of faith? To have faith is to believe in something that you cannot actually see. And so quite often it's framed this idea that good Christians have no doubts. In fact, doubters in church are very often looked down upon. If if you're somebody in the Christian faith who is struggling with their faith, maybe you believe some of it, but you don't believe all of it, or you're not fully convinced, or you have questions, or you have concerns. Maybe you've tried really hard to fully accept everything that your church is teaching, but you're just not quite 100% there yet. Quite often, you can be looked down on And as a Christian, doubt can cast this shadow over your faith and over your Christian life and your Christian walk. And I think this is why so many hide their doubts. So many in the church never really ask questions. They never really bring those questions to light in front of people who love them and who can help them work through those questions because there is this fear of if I if I confess that I don't have this all 100% figured out, maybe I will be rejected because of my doubt. And I, I can understand that to some extent. When I was a student, you know, I didn't want to be the person raising my hand in class saying, I don't understand. Can you please explain that to me? No, nobody wants to appear foolish. We want to be able to understand. No one wants to be the one who doesn't have things figured out. And I think it's no coincidence that so many young people in the faith end up leaving their faith once they go off to college. And that's nothing against college or higher learning or education. I think it can be a very great thing for people in their life. But when you grow up in a Christian bubble and you spend your life having doubts about your faith and then suppressing those doubts and not raising your hand and asking questions because you don't have loving, caring mentors in your life who are not afraid of your questions or who will say, how dare you have doubts? How dare you have questions? But the kind of loving, caring people who can dive into those questions with you 
when so many do not have that, when they leave that Christian bubble and head into an environment that is very secular, very often it causes them to wonder, was that thing that I believed since childhood actually truth after all? And this is why I think it's really important that the church is a place where, where Christian communities are a place where we understand that questions are not bad and where we understand that doubt is not actually evil, but doubt is a part, an, a normal part of the human experience, a part of the human experience that God is actually very aware of and very understanding of. And instead of living underneath the shadow of a doubt, I believe God wants us to move beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so what better character to study for the topic of doubt than the character of doubting Thomas himself? So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, turn with me to John chapter 20. And I'm going to be reading from verse 19 on. And I just want you to be aware of what's going on in the story at the moment. The, the 12 disciples and their colleagues are currently living under a ton of stress and anguish and strain because they just watched Jesus Christ, the man, the, the mentor, the rabbi, the friend, the person they believed was their God and their king. They watched him crucified, dying and bleeding on a Roman cross. And just imagine the amount of fear and frustration and doubt that you would feel watching the person that you dedicated years of your life to, the person who you thought was God himself bleeding to death on a Roman cross and then being buried into a tomb. The 12 disciples are experiencing what has been called the dark night of the soul. But then something amazing happens. Those of you guys who grew up in church know the story really well, but just in case you didn't grow up in church, Jesus rises from the dead. He breaks out of the tomb and he's in this glorified body, this new existence. He's the first child of the new humanity. He defeats death and rises from the dead and appears in glory. And now he's ready to lead his people and to lead his kingdom, right? It's, it's amazing stuff, it's incredible stuff. It's triumphant, it's glorious, it's all the stuff we want in a story. And after this, Jesus appears to a couple of the women disciples like Mary Magdalene, and then Jesus appears to Peter and John and reveals himself. And it's just so exciting and fantastic. And now in John chapter 20, verse 19, I'm gonna read uh, for you what happens next. Here we go. He's appeared to some of the women. He's appeared to Peter and John, but now he's about to appear to the rest of the disciples. Verse 19 says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He, he appears to them. He reveals himself. This amazing moment of watching somebody that you saw bleed to death. You saw him die right in front of your eyes. Now he's there in front of you. And look at verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side where the holes that pierced Jesus were. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father had sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What an amazing moment for these disciples. Like, the, their, their doubts were probably catapulted through this miraculous moment to just deep faith. Seeing Jesus risen from the dead was probably exactly what their faith needed to revive their dead and dying faith. But it turns out somebody was left out of this amazing spiritual experience. And that person, of course, was Thomas, or as we like to call him, Doubting Thomas. 
Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, basically, guys, you're, you're crazy. And unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe this. No way. There's absolutely no way that I'm going to believe that. Now, I want to ask you the question, have you ever been in a situation where somebody has been describing to you some amazing supernatural spiritual experience that they've had, maybe at a church service or a summer camp, or maybe in their times reading the scriptures? You know, I myself have actually had some experiences in my life where it's like, I can't really explain them away without acknowledging that something supernatural happened. I've had some experiences where I'm like, that that had to have been the Lord. It couldn't have been coincidence. But when I talk about about those experiences, there's, there's been people in my life, there's been times where I've been talking to good friends and their response to me telling them those amazing stories is, well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't experience that. You did, but I, I didn't. Why hasn't God ever done that for me in my life? Why does he do that for you, but not for me? And as somebody who deeply loves young people and who served as a youth pastor, I've seen so many young people that I love very dearly who they've gone to all of these same camps as everybody else. And they went on all the, the missions trips and they did all of the spiritual Christian things and events. And yet they never really had any radical or crazy spiritual experience. And so oftentimes that produces so much frustration and, and people thinking, why does God move in the lives of other people, but not mine? Why, why does he love them that way, but he won't give me that same kind of experience so that I can truly know him? And very often when people experience this, the result is a very deep and discouraging doubt. And that's what Thomas is experiencing. How could, how could you guys say this happened? There's no way that God actually did that. There's no way that Jesus could rise from the dead. You guys are insane. And I think it's important for us to stop here and ask the question, how does Jesus respond to this doubt of Thomas? And how does Jesus respond to doubters in general? How does Jesus respond to those who doubt? That's a very important question. I think for many, they can feel a deep sense of shame and frustration because they think that Jesus is frustrated with their doubt. They think that Jesus hates them because of their doubt. They think that Jesus can't stand them because of their doubt. And, and they, they would believe that Jesus would say to them, just stop your doubting, just get your act together and believe what is wrong with you. And maybe that's what the other 11 disciples said to Thomas, just Thomas, stop your doubting, bro. Just believe what we're telling you. We've seen these things with our own eyes. Come on, man. It's so easy to put a doubter down and to say, just have faith. But I want to encourage you to think about it differently. We see in this passage how Jesus responds to doubters and the way that he responds to doubters is so beautiful. This is one of my favorite stories. Look again at John chapter 20, verse 26. A week later, a week had passed, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them and then 
Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He basically walks through the walls. And you know, doubting, doubting Thomas is looking for a sign. And Jesus is like, hey, you want one, buddy? Here you go. Jesus comes and walks through the walls to show himself to Thomas. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he looks right at Thomas and says, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put your finger into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. Oh, I can't believe it. It's, it's, it's you. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is so powerful. I want, I want you to think this through. What does Jesus say to Thomas? He does say, yes, Thomas, stop your doubting and believe, but it's not an angry, stop your doubting and believe. No, it's important to realize the heart of Jesus is a heart not of anger, but a heart of love for the doubter. Jesus is willing to meet doubting Thomas exactly where he is in the midst of his doubt. Jesus shows up and proves himself to Thomas, and Jesus acknowledges, yes, it's a blessing for those who have so much faith that they can believe without seeing any signs. He acknowledges that there's so many people out there that have this childlike faith where they can just believe in God and not have to see any evidence or proof. They can just sense God in their heart and in their spirit and respond. And that's a beautiful thing, but I don't want you to miss the reality that Jesus responds to Thomas's doubt and says, I'm bigger than your doubt. I'm bigger than your fears. I'm willing to prove myself to you. You know, doubt, it can often seem like an obstacle to a relationship. Like if, if I said to my wife, I love you, and she responds, oh, I, don't, I don't really know about that. I don't know if that's true. That's an indication that there's a serious problem in our relationship. And so Jesus senses this problem in the relationship. He senses this doubt in Thomas's heart that's driving a wedge between them. And, you know, literally Thomas doesn't even understand at that moment that Jesus is alive and powerful and working. And so Jesus shows up and says, I'm going to fix this problem between us. I'm going to break down this wall of doubt between us. You know, I, th I think it's interesting Thomas has this nickname of Doubting Thomas, but it's significant to realize that it's not a nickname that Jesus gave him. That's the nickname that we, the church, have put on him. And honestly, I wonder what nicknames that you and I would have if our life stories were published in the Bible. If someone had a complete look at our heart and our spiritual life and all the times that we doubted God or failed him, I, I wonder what nicknames that you or I would get. I think Thomas honestly gets a bad rap. A lot of times it's like he's kind of uh, not as bad as Judas, but he's thought of as like the second tier villain in the group of disciples. Oh, you know, doubting Thomas. But I think it's not that Thomas is doubting Thomas, it's that he's human Thomas. And he has a moment of weakness, just like Peter had a moment of weakness and sunk when he was walking on the water. Thomas has this moment of weakness. And we see that this story of weakness is included in the scriptures. And that is a beautiful thing because the authors of the Bible are acknowledging that followers of Jesus can and do doubt. And Jesus is bigger than those doubts. Jesus can work past those 
those doubts. And Jesus is going to make every effort to break down those walls in our hearts because of his great love for us. There's a guy named Matt Deason who wrote a book detailing his journey from atheism to Jesus. It's a book called Under the Streetlights. And my friend Evan Wickham was actually a childhood friend of Matt's, and he wrote a foreword to that book, and I'm gonna read from it right now. Evan says, I was standing with a friend in the forest of the mountains of California. It was a starry, moonless night. The midsummer air was warm and clean. Satellites visibly traversed the vast expanse of the dome firmament. The sky didn't have to compete with the city lights. My friends and I were Christian high school students at a Christian youth retreat, singing worship songs to Jesus around a bonfire with hundreds of other students. I asked my friend, do you ever wonder if any of this is real? I surprised myself with my own question. Pulling his eyes away from the sky, he asked, if any of what is real? Jesus, Christianity, the Bible, Evan responded. I'm a pastor's kid. I was raised in the church and I don't really know any different. I'm starting to wonder if it's all real. Do you ever wonder? At first, my friend didn't say anything. Then he smiled and turned his gaze back to the stars and said, I like to wonder. And that was it. For the first time in my life, I saw the twin cravings of wonder and doubt as just that, cravings. Wonder is to reality as thirst is to water. It's like a magnetic field emanating outward from the heart of the really real. Wonder is when we feel that pull. Doubt is just as vital as wonder. Doubt is to faith as hunger is to food. An unhealthy relationship with doubt can be deadly. On the one hand, Fear of doubt can lead us to binge eating on fetish fact claims and ultimately fundamentalism. On the other hand, love of doubt can lead to a kind of spiritual anorexia in which doubt and deconstruction themselves become codependent addictions. So, so good. He goes on, On that summer night under the stars, I paid my respect to wonder and doubt. Things haven't been perfect between us, but I'd like to think wonder Doubt and I have shared a healthy relationship ever since. Man, wow, so, so good. That's so profound. It, the reality, I think, for us as Christians is every single one of us in our journey is going to wrestle with doubt. And, you know, think about it. There's all different ways that we doubt. For some of us, we doubt, you know, I'll never find love. That was me growing up in middle school and high school until I met my amazing wife, Brooklyn. For others, it's, we think, well, if God is really good, then why do people suffer? Or we think for some young people, it's if God is good, then, then why is he letting my parents' marriage fall apart? Or for some people, it's I'll never be good enough. Or, you know, a very popular doubt for many people is, well, why is this sin such a big deal? Why is that thing that I wanna do with my body or my sexuality actually such a big deal? Why is it that the hate that I harbor in my heart towards my enemy really that big of a deal? Don't they kind of deserve it? Those are certainly ways that we doubt. Or even, how can I know the Bible is true? Because if God is loving, then why do people actually go to hell? Or when we go through a crisis, we think, why is this happening to me? I've been good. I've been a good person. I've done all the right things. So why am I suffering? 
This is a universal struggle. Honestly, I don't know one Jesus follower that I look up to that has never struggled with doubt. I know some Christians who claim that they've never had a doubt in their life, but honestly, I don't really respect them because I don't think that they're telling the truth. Thomas Merton says, the man of faith who has never experienced doubt is not actually a man of faith. So, so good. You know, some of you listening to this, you may have a legalistic bent and you may say, oh no, not me. You know, I've, I've never doubted. Well, chances are, if that's you, you probably have never actually thought that deeply about issues of faith. Because for me, the more that I peel back the layers of faith, the, the deep questions of faith, the more it causes me to actually ask those really hard and tough questions. And I think it's easier for people to say to doubters, ah, oh, you know, doubters are just weak. But I would really discourage that kind of thought. Because when we do that, we're actually following the same patterns and tactics that we see those televangelist faith healers use, right? Where they say, oh, come to me and I'll use my power to heal you. But then if some poor little old lady with cancer comes up and asks for prayer and she doesn't get healed, instead of diving into like the deep and hard question of why is it that God is not actually permitting this healing to take place, the televangelist faith healer just says, oh, it's your fault. You didn't believe hard enough. You didn't pray hard enough. We don't want to ever fall into those thought patterns when it comes to doubters. I would say that doubting is a normal part of the faith experience. Why? You know, when I consider the hall of faith, right, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, let, let's take a look at the hall of faith. For those of you guys who don't know, Hebrews 11 is commonly called the hall of faith. And it's a list of the bunch of the heroes of the faith, you know, the guys who are all on the flannel graph. It's, it's basically all of the people uh, that got VeggieTales movies made out of them, right? The heroes of the faith. And it lists the things that they did by faith. Noah by faith built an ark, saved the human race, no big deal. Abraham, by faith, was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice. Sarah, by faith, had a son in old age. Jacob, by faith, blessed his grandsons. Moses, by faith, left a life of royalty to lead God's people to freedom. Rahab, by faith, protected Joshua and Caleb from the enemies of God. Gideon, by faith, defeated an entire army with no weapons. Great story. Uh, Barak, by faith, led troops into battle. Samson, by faith, defeated the Philistines. And David, by faith, defeated a giant Goliath and became the king of Israel. So we have this rad list, right, of heroes of the faith who trusted God with their life. And it's easy to read the hall of faith and, and we feel so inferior and we think, oh, these great heroes of faith, they were probably never doubting. They probably never doubted once. Well, that's actually where you would be wrong uh, because when you actually study the Bible and you look at the stories of all of these heroes in the Hall of Faith, you'll see that while it is a Hall of Faith, yeah, if you look at their stories, it's actually also a Hall of Doubt. Every single person on this list struggled with doubt. Every single person on this list struggled with giving in to their doubts and letting it lead them into sin and rebellion. I mean, once again, let's, let's go through the list. Noah, by 
doubt gets wasted and stumbles his entire family. Abraham, by doubt, gave his wife away to other men. Sarah, by doubt, laughs at God when he says, you're going to have a child and has Abraham sleep with the maid because she doesn't believe that she can actually get pregnant. Jacob, by doubt, steals his brother's birthright. Moses, by doubt, lashes out in anger and murders a man. Rahab, by doubt, lived a life as a prostitute. Gideon, by doubt, hid from his enemies. Barak, by doubt, wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah went with him. Samson, by doubt, sacrifices his strength for a prostitute. And David, by doubt, committed adultery and many murders. Do you get like what I'm trying to say here? I mean, this is really remarkable. These people were listed in the hall of faith, yet we see there's so many of their doubts on record. Every single one of these people struggled with doubt. And so the question I would have is, if these were actually truly doubtful people at times, then why were they allowed into the hall of faith? Well, I think the reason that they're counted as the faithful in Scripture is actually because Scripture gives us this beautiful picture of one of the main themes of the Bible, which is despite humans constantly failing and doubting and falling into sin and rebellion and, and all, into all types of sin cycle patterns, none of these humans are made righteous by their own efforts. It's actually through God's efforts alone. Remember Abraham, right? A guy who doubted God many times and made all types of mistakes, and it's listed all throughout Genesis. What, what does it say about Abraham? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous because of that faith. Fast forward again to the 12 disciples. These were not the, the dream team of the day. Jesus was trying to save the world, and yet he doesn't pick the star faith believers of that time and age. He goes and finds a bunch of salty, swearing, nasty fishermen and tax collectors and political zealots and forms this 12 disciples. It, it, that, it's, that's incredible. That's not who I would pick to save the world. And, and so the question would be, what is it that causes Jesus to pick these men? What is it that actually saves these men? It's not their works. It's not who they were. It's their faith. It's their faith that they had in Jesus. It's their willingness to believe that Jesus is who Jesus says that he actually is. And so that's this beautiful picture that we see in the hall of faith. It's, it's the hall of faith and the hall of doubt. You have sinful humans, and yet because they put their trust in our God, in Yahweh, in Jesus, they're counted as righteous. And that's something that every single one of us can take from this story into our own lives. We can take this from Thomas's story. It, Thomas's story doesn't end with doubt. Even though he got that nickname, Doubting Thomas, Thomas, as his story, as you follow it along, it's not a story of doubt, it's a story of belief. He goes on to serve and to become an evangelist and to actually become martyred for his faith. He lives out the gospel and, and is a servant of Jesus with his life. I, I love the story of Thomas. I love God's willingness to work in us despite our doubts and to actually make our faith stronger despite our doubts. Look at this great quote from Dr. Tim Mackey. You guys probably know him from The Bible Project. Tim says, it's so important that we learn to deconstruct our doubt and to go to the source of our doubt. 
This is really, really important. Here's, here's an analogy, think it through. Uh, you know, picture a car. You buy a car and you drive it for years and it works great, but then suddenly the car stops working. Now think about it, why does the car stop working? Well, it, it doesn't stop working because it was built with a flaw. No, something has changed in the car. Something has caused the problem in the car. And so as you go to look at the problem, you have to actually take apart the car and look inside. And this is the same thing we see when we doubt. It's not because God built us as flawed, doubting people. No, he built us well, but it's because sometimes there's something that has happened to us, something in our life, in our situation that has changed. There's been some new information that's been presented. There's been a hard and difficult season that we've gone through. I know for me, that's been the biggest source of my doubt has been hard and difficult seasons in my life. And so quite often, these are the things that cause our faith to break down and for that doubt to creep in. And so instead of ignoring the brokenness, we actually need to deconstruct our brokenness. And so how do we do that? Well, let's go on to see what Dr. Tim says. He says, doubt is often not a result of deep-seated beliefs, but circumstances that shake those beliefs. So we examine the root cause versus what do I actually know to be true? And so think about this. This is really how this happens. We start with what we know to be true, and then we examine the things that cause us to doubt. We start with this reality, this understanding of God is good, and then we go through a gnarly, horrible divorce, and that truth is challenged. We start with the truth of God loves me, and then we face a horrible sickness of a loved one, and that truth is challenged. We, we start with the truth of God is just, he's good and righteous. And then we contrast that with the reality of starving kids in third world countries, or God is fair and just, but then we see our friends who don't seem to be trying as hard as we are, just seem like they're having the best, most successful life and we're struggling. Or, or, or the truth of sin is wrong, but then it's contrasted with, well, sin is actually fun and I have a lot of pain and my sin will actually numb that pain. And this is how the enemy begins to feed those doubts. I mean, think about, think about Thomas. Think about the example of Thomas. He starts out with this truth of God is king, but then what did he see? He saw God die. He saw Jesus hang and bleed on a cross. That reality, that change in his life, that new bit of information causes everything he knows to be true to wither away. And so I think the reality is when it comes to these experiences of doubt, we need to go to the source. We need to look at the issue. We need to ask the question, what is the root of my doubt? What is causing this doubt? What has changed in my life? What hard experience have I faced? What is different? What is the root cause of this? And once we get to that point, we need to ask good questions. We need to be willing to ask the hard questions and the good questions and ask them to people that we know and love and trust as Jesus followers. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with them on everything, but we trust them enough to say, I'm going to bring this question to you. And, and in doing so, I'm asking God to speak through his spirit through you. I'm, I'm inviting Jesus to speak to me in this moment. We need to be seekers of truth because God, he invites his children to know him better through questions. He's not afraid of them. He invites them. He says, ask, seek, and knock. 
which is honestly so much better than saying, oh, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Don't you just hate that? When you have a real, actual question about something in Christianity and you ask somebody and they say, oh, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways, brother. It's just, it's so, it's so frustrating. And when God works in mysterious ways as our default, it just means that we're not asking. And he, God is a father who wants his children to ask. He, he's not annoyed by their questions. He actually realizes that questions are an open door to deeper and more rich and full relationship. Think of doubt like this. Think of it as a pile of bricks. And what that pile of bricks becomes is really up to you. If that pile of bricks just stays piled up in front of you, what it actually becomes is a wall between you and others and God. But if you choose to actually deconstruct your doubt, if you choose to take those bricks of doubt and start pulling them apart and examining them, you can actually begin to build a bridge, a bridge between you and, and God and others. And you are going to face doubts. That's the reality for the Christian. It's not the question of, will I face doubts? It's the question of when will I face doubts? And so when you face doubts, the question is, what will you do with those doubts? I love this quote from my friend, Evan Wickham. He says, modernism says, I think, therefore I am. Postmodernism says, I doubt, therefore I deconstruct. But Christianity says, I am loved, therefore I love. Oh, so good. I love this. Yes, it's important to deconstruct doubt, but even more important is that we always use God's love as our reference and source for what we actually believe truth is. It, it has to be our foundation and our rock and our home base. A perfect example, right? You've, you've got Peter in the Bible and he steps out in faith and he walks on water. And why is he able to do so? It's because of his love for Jesus and it's Jesus's love for him. It's his faith in Jesus that fuels this ability uh, through God's amazing power and grace for him to walk on the water. But then he sinks. And why does he sink? It's not because of a lack of love. It's because of the presence of doubt. He sees the wind and he sees the waves and he thinks, what if God's power isn't actually enough to save me from these winds and these waves? It's through love and faith that he's able to first walk on water. It's through doubt that he sinks, but then it's through love again that he's pulled up out because what happens in the story? Does Jesus say, how dare you doubt Peter and let him sink? No, he reaches down and he grabs his hand and he pulls him up. And that is exactly what Jesus will continue to do for each and every one of us through all of our stages of faith and doubt. He will walk with us in faith and his hand will be extended to reach and pull us back up every time we sink into the winds and waves of doubt. I hope this is encouraging for you. I hope this gives you some freedom. No matter how big your doubt, your God is so much bigger. Matthew 14, 31 says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We need to remember that wrestling through doubt 
leads us to discovering truth. In that moment, Peter is discovering the goodness of God. In that moment, Thomas, as he looks at the hands and the holes, he's, he's discovering the truth about who God is. He's a God who loves him and cares about him enough to prove himself to him in this great moment of doubt. Peter on the water, this great moment of faith, then a huge moment of doubt, but the one constant through it all was that Jesus loved him. I just think Peter and Thomas, they're such great illustrations for our life. And does Jesus abandon them when they doubt? No, his hand is always there for the taking. Wrestling with doubt led Peter to these extremely important truths. If I trust Jesus, I can walk on water. And if I doubt Jesus, he will be my rescuer. What Dominic Doan says, he says, as hunger prompts your mind to find food, doubt prompts your mind to find reality. So, so good. Don't, don't just sit with your doubts. They'll weigh you down and you'll sink. Instead, wrestle, search, ask, seek, knock. Going back to Thomas, I, I, just, I just feel for the guy. He gets this nickname, Doubting Thomas, because of this one moment. You know, maybe you've been called that. Maybe, maybe you've been called a Doubting Thomas. Maybe you have a negative view of spirituality. Maybe you just have this constant sense of, I won't believe it unless I see it. Well, think, think about the story. Mary saw Jesus at the tomb and she runs and she tells the other disciples. Does it say in the scriptures that they jumped up with joy and belief? No, it doesn't. The very men, the 12 disciples who Jesus chose were full of doubt. Every single one of them was a doubting Thomas. And at the start of this chapter, what does Jesus do? He appears to them. He shows them proof. And, and yet they all doubt just as much as Thomas and they continue to doubt. The disciples were lifelong doubters. And we see many accounts of this. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. This is after the resurrection. This is after the story we read in John. Jesus is appearing in person on, on the mountain, getting ready to give the great commission. He's ready to, to dish out his last marching orders before he goes to heaven. And he says to the disciples, it says verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountains where Jesus had told them when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him but some doubted. It doesn't just say, but Thomas doubted. It says, but some doubted. The disciples were full of doubters, just, just like us, the modern day disciples. Here's another quote from Evan Wickham. I know I've used him a lot this message, but he just has such great content on this. Evan says, in one of my favorite stories from the Bible, Jesus is standing with his friends in a clearing on a hilltop near Jerusalem in Israel. The Mediterranean air is crisp and dry. This wouldn't be such a big deal if Jesus hadn't just risen from the dead. Now he's standing in their midst, alive. In Matthew 28, 17, we see the reaction of his disciples. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, some doubted. The resurrected Jesus is now physically standing before them and some are still in doubt. That is fascinating to me. And it gets even better. In his very next statement, Jesus still commissions them. To believers and doubters alike, he says, go and make disciples. On that hilltop alongside the risen Jesus, the believers and the doubters both belonged. This story provokes us to open up to the best news in the universe. We are all invited to belong to something bigger and more beautiful than we dared to dream. So, so good. 
Oh my gosh, so encouraging. Jesus' disciples all doubted. Peter with the boat, when he sank, when he denied Jesus three times before Jesus' death. The disciples had their moment where they were afraid during the storm and they were sleeping. Think back to another moment where there was a storm and the disciples were freaking out and they look at Jesus and Jesus is sleeping on the boat and they're like, how could you be sleeping? Oh my gosh, we're going to die. And Jesus stands up and says, peace be still. I'm, I'm here. I, I can control the storm. Why are you worried? Think about the, the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus' captors show up to arrest him and all of the disciples run away. There are so many moments where the disciples doubt. It was not just Thomas. Really, the history of the disciples is a history of doubters. In fact, the history of the biblical narrative is a history of doubters, all who God chose to work with him for his glory and his good. What I think we learn from this story is a few things. The, the question of how does Jesus respond to doubting disciples? Well, if we just read through the biblical narratives, we see he visits them, he speaks kindly to them, he takes the time to patiently address their doubts, he breathes his spirit into them, he proves himself to them, look, see the holes in my hands, and then he gives them a mission and a purpose. We need to just remember this reality that Jesus loves and uses doubters. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture the scripture gives us. I love what David D. Flowers says. He says, Jesus's willingness to accommodate Thomas's unbelief is a reminder that God can handle our doubt and that the rationalist doesn't need to see, touch, or run a lab test in order to believe in the resurrected Christ. Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. This is not a plea to accept what often goes against reason, but an invitation to discover a faith that goes beyond reason. The example of Thomas is for the stubborn skeptic in all of us. So, so good. Oh my gosh. I, I love this so much. In my own life, I've seen this over and over again, where God calls me to do something, asks me to do something, to step into something in faith that just goes beyond all reason. And seriously, like there have been so many times in my life where I've just been a functional atheist. What I mean by that is, yes, I am professing myself as a Christian, but when it comes to my behavior, I am acting like an atheist because I don't actually believe that God can help me. I don't actually believe that God can solve my problem. I don't actually believe that God can get me through my storm or my financial situation or my dilemma. There are so many times where maybe you also are a functional atheist and yet Jesus is here for us. He is here for doubters here. He is here for skeptics. He loves us and he wants to walk through our doubt and through our skepticism, no matter what level of it you are struggling with in your life, he wants to be there for you. Jesus is not just talking to Thomas, he's talking to us. And I mean, we are those who have not seen Jesus in person, but we've experienced his spirit. We've experienced the effects of him, just like we cannot see the wind. We feel it on our faces and experience the effect. We, I, don't, I don't think any of you have seen Jesus in person. If you have, let me know what he looks like because I'm super curious. But you who believe are those who have experienced Jesus, you've experienced his truth, and you've come to belief in Christ. And Jesus works through doubt. He works through Thomas's doubt. He proves himself with a visible appearance. 
But right here in the scripture, there's an acknowledgement that there's a generation that won't see a physical Jesus until he returns. But we still believe because in wrestling with our sins of unbelief and doubt, Jesus proves himself to us and proves his willingness to suffer through all of that drama with us. And I, I have never seen Jesus, but what I have seen is his effects. I've seen my grandfather who struggled with alcoholism completely become transformed by the Spirit of God and he went on before he passed into heaven to be one of the greatest examples in my life of what a Christ follower looks like. I've seen drug dealers and, and prostitutes come to Jesus. I, I've seen people healed. I, I know of one man who was blind and now he actually can see. I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit help Holocaust victims forgive the Nazis who put them in captivity and killed their friends and family. I've seen a God speak to me about the reality that he loved me and that he did not wish for me to be alone. And in my youth, I struggled so much with feeling alone and feeling like I would never be loved. And I watched God bring my wife into my life in a miraculous way. The odds of us meeting were so slim and yet God brought us together, meeting at Bible College in York, England. I've seen God give hope to the hopeless. Again, I, I can't see the wind, but I can see its effects and I believe. Yes, we wrestle with doubt, but we don't let it win. James 1.6 says, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now listen, don't, don't read that verse and think, oh man, right here in the Bible, see God hates doubters. He doesn't like doubters. He's frustrated with doubters. That's not what the scripture is saying. Remember, the, the hand outstretched to Peter when he sank. Remember the hand that showed the holes to Thomas. There's so much love for the doubter, but the scripture is reminding us that if we wrestle with doubt, but we allow doubt to win, then we become like someone who is tossed around by winds and waves. And, and I've seen this. I've seen so many surrender to their doubts. Uh, there's this epidemic right now in the church of those who start out with doubting and then they move on to deconstruction and then they move on to progressive Christianity and then they move on to post-Christianity where they don't believe at all. I, I and so many other pastors have seen this pattern over and over again. It's this idea if, if I can't be 100% sure, then why believe at all? Why not just sin? Why not just give in to what I want? Why not just surrender to my doubt and let it drift me away? We need to fight this. We need to fight this temptation to give in to doubt. We need to wrestle with doubt. We need to deconstruct doubt. And ultimately, we need to constantly bring our doubts and just be open and honest and to say, listen, I am struggling. Listen, I need help. Listen, I need someone to speak truth from the scripture, from their own experience, from what God has shown them. Speak into my life. And even if I don't listen, even if I don't believe it, even if it doesn't seem like I'm believing, at least please, at least try at least try to speak this truth into my life. 
If that's our heart posture, if we say to God, God, if you're real, if you're real, then please prove it to me. You have no idea how much God can do with that much of an open door. Even if it's just open to crack, that is so different from a heart that is just completely closed off to God. The last quote that I'll give you is from UFC lightweight champ, Conor McGregor. He says, doubt is only removed by action. If you're not working, then that's when the doubt comes in. Look, I know I probably am beating a dead horse, but I just, I want you listening this to get this. Don't just sit with your doubt. It'll weigh you down. It'll make you sink. Deconstruct it. Ask questions. Seek answers. Search the scriptures. Invite Jesus in. He can handle your doubts. He will show himself to you because you matter to him. You are worth it to him. Jesus, I just thank you so much for those who are listening to this message. I pray that you would speak into their lives right now and just help them with whatever doubt that they're struggling with. Help them with whatever deconstruction they're dealing with. God, we know that you're not afraid of doubt. We know that you're bigger than doubt. And we know that you love and that you care for doubters. You are patient with doubters. You are long suffering with doubters. And you want all of us who doubt, including myself, you want us to lay our doubts at your feet. Not just to say God works in mysterious ways and, and move on. But no, God, you are willing to wrestle with us through the doubt. You are willing to suffer long with us. You are willing to walk with us through the doubt. Just like we see with Thomas, there are so many listening to this who maybe might have that same sense, that stubborn skepticism of, I just, I can't believe unless I see the holes in his hands and his side. Jesus, I pray for those people who are in that place that you would show up and that you would show them those holes in your hands. You would show them those holes in your side. You would reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. And there are some listening to this who have a strong desire to have that childlike faith that wants to be able to believe without seeing. I pray that if that is their desire and heart, that you would give them that belief. Jesus, I know for me, there's been many times in my life where I've struggled with that and where maybe I once had a childlike faith and then I had a much more adult faith that was very much more concerned with facts and details and 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 wanting every little dot and, and line in a row and, and having everything lined up perfectly. But I know, God, you don't work that way. And there's been so many times in my life you've proven yourself to me and restored that childlike faith. I just... I sense that there's people listening who they, they need their childlike faith restored. I pray, God, that you would restore it to them. And for those who are in a place where they are seriously struggling with doubt and deconstruction, Jesus, I pray that you would walk with them through that season, hold their hand through that season, help them to feel your presence right there next to them during this entire season. Help them not to stray from you, but help them to find you in the midst of their doubt. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all of our doubts and all of our discouragements. We give them to you because we know that our hearts are in good hands if they're in your hands. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.